0: Welcome, everyone, to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I have a really, I'm really excited about this word for you tonight. I've been praying over this for a couple of weeks now, and the Lord's given me a lot of really good things. So um, I'm going to pray for you, and you pray for me, and then we'll get into this. Uh, Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you're here, that you're present to us, and that you're for us. You're not against us. Lord, would you you reveal that truth to each of us in a very tangible and personal way, Father, that we sense your presence, we acknowledge it with every piece of our being. Lord, I pray that the light of who you are would shine into some very dark places tonight, but that we would not be afraid. We would not be afraid to be open and vulnerable before you because we know who you are. We know what you sound like. We know what you look like. We know what to expect from you, Lord, because we trust you. And so, Father, may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever-pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I love these little divine coincidences. You know, when we come together on a Sunday, we don't always have all of the information of who's going to do what and it's really beautiful to see from, from that first song that the band did about come the long-expected Jesus, uh, moving into the time of Advent and talking about, you know, John the Baptist as the forerunner, the one who comes in advance of Jesus to say, you need to rethink everything. You think that you're in just because of all of these qualifications, but I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of heaven has come near, which is to say, in our contemporary language, the new reality of God is so close that you can almost reach out and touch it. And I love that the Lord has woven together all of these things tonight because it goes so beautifully with the word that He's given me uh, to speak in this Advent season. And so tonight, my sermon is called Prepare the Way. Prepare the way. We're going to be focusing in on Isaiah chapter 40, the first 11 verses. But I want to set us up a little bit to be able to step into that prophetic declaration to see where it is that that declaration is taking us and how it affects where we are in the present moment. And so let's begin here. Remembrance and encounter give us an active expectation for God's future. We remember what it is that God has done through Jesus in the past. In Advent especially, you know, year-round we're constantly retelling the story of Jesus to keep it alive and fresh. But especially in this season of Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas... We focus in on retelling the story of Jesus so that we remember what God initiated through Christ on the cross, in his life and in his death and then in his resurrection. That the new reality of God, his kingdom, bursts forth into the world, and we are standing in the beautiful tension between the first coming of Jesus that we remember and the second coming of Jesus that we ex- joyfully expect. In the teaching team this past Sunday, we were talking about the second coming of Christ and how for many of of us it's something that we fear we kind of tremble a little bit when we talk about the day of judgment or the last days or um, eschatology or teleology or dispensationalism or pre-trib post-trib mid-trib whatever you know all of that stuff a lot of it gives us fear because we we tend in our culture to draw more from dante's inferno than we do from the Scripture. We tend to draw more from the pagan stories of gods like Zeus and Hera and and Thor and all of these guys instead of the God of the Bible. But when we reorient, when we realign ourselves to the God revealed in Christ Jesus, we retell his story in a way that it gives us hope for the future. Now, it's important to recognize that for a Christian, hope is not the same thing that it means in the world. In the world, we say, I hope it rains tomorrow, which is to say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if it rained tomorrow? I know my eggplants could do with it. That's a little joke for you gardening types. I've got them. They're Japanese. They're about that long. They're really cute. They taste delicious. But when we hope for the coming of Jesus, we're not saying Oh, wouldn't it be nice if maybe possibly Jesus would come back? It seems like a pretty good time for that. Especially with so many of the things that are going on in our world right now. But that's not the hope that we're talking about as Christians. We're talking about a future certainty that we call back into the present by retelling the story and learning to see what it looks like when God moves and to hear what it sounds like when God speaks and things are transformed. And so I want us to start at the end. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 21. This is what John the Revelator says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's you and me. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What does that do to you? What does that do to you? That's our future. It's not a wouldn't it be nice if some of those took place. That is our strong and future Our certain future, because in the end, God will get what God wants. And we don't just hope for it to be a nicety, that maybe this thing will happen. But we read this, and there's something within our spirits that cries out, because we know that God. We know what He wants. We know where He's taking us. And it animates us. It resonates with every cell in our bodies that, yes, this is our certain future future. John goes on, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And that God of revelation, the God of our future hope, calls back into the present moment through Jesus, through his church, through the spirit to say, I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. Watch me Do this. You see, the second coming for us is a joyful thing. There's that there's that animated expectation, that excitability of the bride who's who's waiting for the wedding, waiting to see the groom. Just a couple weeks ago, Landon and Allison uh, got married. And it was so wonderful spending that morning with Landon, and me preparing breakfast for him and for some of the guys and seeing him try to like eat everything and try to totally stay cool. And I hear Allison was totally freaking out at the same time. But there's this joyful expectation when we come to a marriage, when we come to a wedding, when something that's been pro- promised will be fulfilled. The second coming is joyful. It leads us into an active expectation. And so how does that future proclamation speak back into this present moment so we know how it is we are to live today? And this is where we really get into the idea of preparing the way. So let's go to Isaiah 40. We're going to read the first five verses. In my, uh, my contemplative and intercessory prayer group on Friday mornings, we usually focus in on a psalm and we invite the Lord to reveal to us each something within the psalm of the day that we really need to hear. And then we kind of compare notes and see what is the Lord revealing to each one of us that we can use as motivation to begin praying, whether it's for one another, for our city, uh, for this church, for the world, whatever it might be. Um, So we've changed things up through the season of Advent, and we're focusing in on Isaiah 40, which is one of the most powerful prophetic messages that we have in the Old Testament about what it is that God's going to do. And so I want us to read this um, contemplatively. I want to invite you to employ your divine imagination. As I read, I want you to just close your eyes um, open your hands in front of you if that's something that you want to do, and just really listen, and we're going to invite the Lord to um, kind of animate this passage to us in a way that reveals to us what His heart is and what God's doing uh, in us and through us. So Holy Spirit, of course you're welcome here. We say, "Come Lord, and we also recognize your presence with us. Father, I pray that you would anoint each and every one of us in our minds and our hearts and our divine I- imagination that you would speak to us in ways that we know how to hear from you, and you'd speak to us in ways that kind of surprise us as we read the words of your prophet Isaiah. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Orlando. Speak tenderly to City Beautiful Church. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every mountain shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you, Father. One of the things that I've recognized about this idea of gospel, this idea of good News And I've spoken about this before, but gospel does not mean good advice. Gospel does not mean, here's some things that maybe you want to try out to to help you live a healthier and happier life. No, it is so much more than that. That gospel is at first a proclamation that this is what God is like. And through Christ Jesus, this is what God has done in a way that it has dramatically changed the trajectory of the world. And it's always that proclamation is always followed by an invitation to step in and to say yes to God. The gospel is always proclamation with invitation. And so I want to frame the way that we look at this scripture in that same way with proclamation and invitation. With three questions that I think are good for us to ask of any kind of scripture that we come across, or any kind of prophecy. The first is a theological question, the second concerns the kingdom and politics, and the third is the personal. We're going to begin with this theological question. Now raise your hand if you love theology. Alright, the five of you, great. Great. Theology has been given a bad rap for many of us. Karl Barth says, in in Jesus, the word became flesh, and in theologians, the, the flesh became words again. But you know what the word theology means? The word theology means words about God. Now, raise your hand if you like talking about God, if you like listening to people talk about God, if you like studying God and understanding God and learning about God. You see, theology is a good thing. The problem is, too many of us have been exposed to bad theology. And bad theology is theology that does not get to the only question that matters in the beginning. What is God like? What is God like? What does this scripture reveal about the character of God? What does this prophecy reveal about who God is? What does this worship song tell me about the truth of who God is? So whenever we engage in Scripture, that should be our foundational question. What is this saying about who God is and what he's like? What is the Father heart? What are God's desires? You see, theology is a good thing. Now, the second thing. This is, I'm giving you a little tutorial on how to read the Bible. This is free, guys. You're getting this for free, okay? As Christians, we never read the Old Testament without bringing Jesus with us, Okay? As Christians, we never read the Old Testament without bringing Jesus with us. Jesus is the lens through which we read the Old Testament. Do you realize that the Old Testament is only the partial revelation of God? Okay? The Old Testament is only the partial revelation of God. If it was the full revelation of what God is actually like, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. But we did. We got it. Praise be to God. Jesus is the full revelation of the character of God, and Jesus is the light by which we read all other Scripture. So hopefully that will help you iron out some of those very tricky things in the Old Testament. We've been going in my Thursday group, going to the survey of the, the story of God through the Old Testament. We're up into 1 Samuel. And some of these things are very hard for us to read and to understand, but when we invite Jesus into it, When we see Jesus as the greatest testimony of what God is like, it allows us to step into some of those things, not necessarily ironing out all of the wrinkles, but giving us some sort of direction. And so the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. In these last days, P.S., did you realize we're living in the last days? If anybody comes to you and says, oh my gosh, it's the end of days, it's the end of time, say, yeah, I know, it's been like 2,000 years of the last days. (laughs) Relax. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the universe. There's your cosmic Christ, the Messiah that stretches out to the beginning and the end of all time. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, every time we read the name of Jesus, we should be thinking of that phrase. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his character. Oh, it's so good. Say it with me. The radiance of God's glory. The of character. The exact representation of his character. The of Who's the radiance of God's glory? Jesus. Oh, you guys sound so excited. Advent, Christmas is coming. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Who's the radiance of God's glory? Who's the exact representation of his character? Jesus. So if we want to know what God is like, we look at the life of Jesus. And I believe when we have that correctly in line, we see what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. We hear the things that Jesus speaks in his earthly ministry. We see the death and resurrection of Jesus as the fulfillment of what we read in Isaiah 40 about the mountains being made low and the valleys being raised up and the rough places being made smooth because it's the heart of the Father to see these things come to fruition. So what did Jesus' life look like? Jesus was drawn to the margins, to the poor, to the hungry, to the thirsty, to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the children, to the Samaritans, to the women, those who weren't considered worth very much, those who didn't have a lot to offer, those who were considered cursed because of their economic status, those who were considered cursed by their very low rung on the political hierarchies of the day. And how did Jesus treat the elite, the Roman rulers, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law? He, like John the Baptist before him, came and said, you think you're in just because of your bloodline. You think you're in because you've memorized the law of Moses. I'm here to tell you that the new reality of God administered in His kingdom through me changes all of that. And the mountains are made low. And the valleys are raised up. And human corruption and violence and hierarchy and tribalism fall to the wayside. And the path is made straight for the king to enter into His kingdom. Amen. Jesus is the crossroads of love and justice prophesied in Isaiah. Love because God is not like Zeus, distant and disinterested, that we have to do the rain dance in order to get him to pay attention to us, who's always kind of waiting to strike us with a lightning bolt when we mess up. But no, God is with us. He's present to us. He moves through history with us, turning curses into blessings. It's called his sovereignty. But Jesus is also the fulfillment of God's justice. In the end, will God get what God wants? And the answer is yes. And it doesn't come through conquering. It doesn't come through might that makes right. It doesn't come through dominating the world, but it comes through the death of of God, that God is willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of his own creation. He is the God who submits himself to his own people, places himself underneath him, making himself nothing in order to raise us up into our proper place. This is what we see in the words and the actions of Jesus. So does God get what God wants? What does this Isaiah 40 prophecy look like in our present age? So we move from the theological question of what is God like? What is his character? What is his heart? To the the question of the kingdom. What does the world look like when this God is king? What does the world look like when God is king? I don't know if you've seen all of the crazy things that are going on in our world right now. Sometimes it's so easy to feel inundated by all of the stories and the news and the the back and forth on social media and often it arrests us. It makes us shut down. It makes us go numb or it makes us recoil in fear and do what we need to do in order to protect ourselves. But the kingdom of God has implications in every cultural facet that we encounter in our day to day. In politics, in economics, in ecology, in the questions of racism and sexism and every way that we seek to divvy up humanity, to compartmentalize the human family. And so I want to give you a few statistics that examine the state of our world today and show you that what we are actually called to do as Christians is to ask the right kinds of questions with the reality of the empire that we're being offered. Is to say this, what does it look like when God is king? This year, the United States will have a declared military and defense budget of $601 billion, which is more than the next seven highest spending countries combined. 20% of our budget is just for quote-unquote defense. 3% we spend on education. What does it look like when God is king? We have more guns per capita in this country than any other country on the earth, and yet we have more people being murdered by guns than any other country in the world. Do we feel safer because we have more guns? Do we feel safer because we have a bigger military? Do we feel safer because we have five times as many nuclear weapons as any other country? It's the myth of redemptive violence That I can respond to the violence of the world by building up my own stockpile of my own strength and responding to the world with that same thing. But it only makes us more afraid. It only makes us more afraid to live life and to live it abundantly. Consider our economic standing. In this country, the top wealthiest 1% possess 40% of the nation's wealth. And the bottom 80% of this country own 7% of our country's wealth. There was a study last year at Harvard Business School that said that the growing disparity between the very wealthy and the very poor in our country is no longer sustainable, and it could be the very real collapse of our economy because we've allowed those two to split to unreasonable levels. As of 2011, there were six empty houses in this country for every homeless person. Six empty houses for every homeless person. What would the world look like when God is king? You and I are still the 1% globally wherever you're at, financially, economically, politically, whatever, we're still the 1% when it comes to world population. And when we see all of these situations around us, child slavery and sex slavery and overwhelming poverty, when we see ecological destruction of God's good earth so that we can have cheaper groceries, when we still struggle With the idea of racism, even though we want to pretend like that's not a thing anymore because we passed a law in 1964. When we want to pretend that sexism is not a thing, even though women on average make 76 cents to the dollar when it comes to men. Our response, our Christian response, is to ask that same question What would this look like if God was king? What does this look like if God is king? You see, in Jesus' time, there was this idea of Pax Romana, perhaps one of the greatest ironies in history. Pax Romana said that the Roman peace, the time of Roman peace, and what Rome would do as an empire as they expanded, was they would come into a new place and say, we are now your overlords, either you submit to us or you suffer the consequences. It was peace through dominance. And the Roman Empire spread and became the glory of all the world. Caesar was declared Lord. Caesar was divine. And the Roman Empire spread from Germany to Ireland, to all through Africa, out as far east as Iraq. There was peace through dominance. Submit to us or suffer the consequences. It led to exclusion and oppression It perpetuated the hierarchies that we put human beings in and ranking systems of who's worth and who's not. It gave us tribalism of who are the people that we're we're wanting to engage with and who are the people that we don't want to. And it continues to lead to this cycle of violence. Pax Romano was that myth of redemptive violence. This is what happens when mankind tries to create our own peace. We say, agree with me or suffer and it happens with nations, it happens with empires, and it happens within you and me. We come. We encounter the other and we say, be more like me or suffer the consequences. You better change, you better submit, or you're going to be excluded. Just this week, there was a very prominent evangelical pastor and leader who at a convocation of students at his college said this, I've always thought that if more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end those Muslims before they walked in. Let's teach them a lesson if they ever show up here. That's a Christian university. That's a Christian leader. Now listen to me, church. That man is our brother. He's our brother. If he claims Christ Jesus, if he has been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's our brother brother and we don't get to walk away from family when we don't agree with them do we but there is something very wrong to hear words like that in the Christendom in Christian realm that when we size it up with the heart of the father as fully revealed in Christ Jesus says this is not okay this is not okay this is not the way that we're supposed to operate in the world It's that myth of redemptive violence. If we build up enough of a personal defense, we will conquer those who seek to oppress us, and then we will achieve peace. But that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of God. It's not what we see demonstrated in that prophecy in Isaiah 40. To resort to violence as a solution to violence is to say that the ways of Jesus are nice ideals, but they're not strong enough to meet the world as it actually is. We read the words of Jesus, we see the heart of the Father, we fully identify it, we know what the kingdom sounds like and tastes like and looks like, and we say, yeah, but you don't know how that really works. And we run away from the kingdom very quickly when it doesn't seem to achieve what we desire for it to achieve. You see scripture gives us a very very different picture. In John's gospel in the first couple of verses he says this. In Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And I love that because elsewhere it's translated as the darkness cannot understand it. The darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness cannot wrap its mind around the light. Because when light enters into darkness, there is no competition. Amen? See, we try to put this cosmic scale between good and evil. Like there's some sort of a balance and we don't really know who's going to come out on top. And yeah, Jesus is saying some really great things. But then when I get into the world and it's kind of messy, it just seems a little easier to play the game that way. And we make this cosmic balancing game between good and evil. There's no competition. I read Revelation 21. You know how this is going to turn out. So we don't have to be afraid. We get to choose to step out of the cycles of violence in this world and be the light of the world as Jesus shines through us because where there is light, there cannot be darkness. It's not a competition. Jesus is the light, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. My friends, we cannot press darkness into darkness and hope for light. Peace is a path, not a destination. Peace is a path, not a destination. We prepare the way of the Lord by recognizing His peace. We get out of the way of trying to be kings and queens of our own little broken empires. And we allow God to be king. Because when you and I try to achieve peace in our own little kingdoms, things don't go so well when we step aside, when we become open-handed before God and we allow Him to be the King in our lives, when we allow Him to be the King in our community, we see the light shining in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. We see the rough places being made smooth. We see those mountains being lowered. We see those valleys being raised up and we see a King triumphantly entering into His kingdom. Do we have the courage to step out of the cycle of violence, of stop living by fear, and to believe for God's new world in the here and the now? So we've looked at the theological question. What is God like? We've examined the question of the kingdom. What does it look like when God is king? And now we look even deeper into that with the personal question, what does it mean for me? In the light of the character of God, in the light of His kingdom, as it advances into this world, what am I being welcomed into? What does this look like for me? Let's continue reading in Isaiah, in chapter 40, verse... I want to start in verse 5 and read that last little portion of the previous piece, and then we'll step into the next one. It says this, The glory of the Lord... That's his manifest presence, God made known. And there probably needs to be more syllables in glory, so I'll give it another go. And the glory of the Lord. Are you still with me? Okay, good. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Do you realize that when we live in a world of mountains and valleys, we can't see very far? We can't see past the mountains when human beings are in control, when human beings try to achieve peace through dominance. We create these hierarchies and these ranking systems of what kind of people are valuable and what kind of people are not valuable. We create tribes of what kind of people do we want to associate with and what kind of people do we not want to associate with. But when we get out of the way, when we allow God to shine his light, to, to lower the mountains, to raise the valleys, the great equalizing of creation and the rough places made smooth, we can finally all see it together because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When we speak of peace, when we speak of joy, when we speak of hope, when we speak of love, is there not something within you that resonates with the divine because part of you knows this is capital T, truth. Christ in you. The Spirit In you, writhing to come out in your words and your actions. That's why this passage is so powerful, because there's something within each of us that says, Yes, yes, that's the world that I want. That's the kind of world that I've been dreaming about. We go on in verse 6. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. What is the Lord telling us here? What is he saying to each one of us? That we're like grass. He's saying, you've only been given a finite amount of time on this rock. What are you going to do with it? When God says, cry out, our proper response is, what do you want me to cry? Because you're in charge. You're the king. You know how to put this to right. And we recognize that we've only been given a few precious years in this planet to make a difference to administer the love of God, to see his kingdom advance. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God, who is Jesus incarnate, endures forever. Verse 9, continuing, it says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Orlando, get out to Mount Dora. It's the highest we got. It's the best we can do. Climb the Chase Building. I don't know. You who bring good news to Orlando, you who bring good news to Central Florida, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, say to the towns of Florida, say to the towns of the United States, say to the towns of the world, here is your God. This is what God looks like. This is God incarnate in the person of Christ Jesus. This is the God who lives within me, who transforms me from the inside out. This is what he looks like. He is for you and he's not against you. He's with you. He advocates for you. He has a plan for you. He has a new reality that is breaking into the way that we do life as human beings with a new solution. Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and He rules with a mighty arm. See, His reward is with Him, and His recompense accompanies Him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get very uncomfortable when I read scriptures about us getting a reward, as if we're in this just to get something out of God. But the Lord revealed to me through one of my favorite artists, Wovenhand, he says this in one of his lines, he is his own reward. Isn't that good? Let me say it again. He is his own reward. What is the reward that we receive for seeing the paths made straight in human life? It's the advancement of the king into his kingdom, of him claiming his throne, and the divine togetherness that we have with him. Intimacy with God. God is his own reward. He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. That's the heart of God. We are all the voices calling in the desert, practicing the kingdom now in advance of its fullness. You are the voice in the wilderness, crying out with everything you've got, This is what God is like. This is God finally and fully revealed in Christ Jesus. This is God who lives within me, who is bursting out of me in my words and my deeds. This is what God is like. And as you proclaim that into the desert of the empires of the world, you will see the kingdom advance. I promise you, the kingdom is unidirectional. The kingdom does not retreat. It only advances It only moves forward. Light cannot be pushed away by darkness. This past Tuesday, I had the tremendous honor of going to a Christmas dinner in celebration for the men at the Central Care Mission, the drug and alcohol rehab center that we've been partnering with over the past year. And it was amazing to see 54 men come up on that stage and one at a time just express a little bit of what it is that God has been doing through them. One man said, I came in with 37 broken relationships and I've got one left. Somebody else came up and said, for the first time this Thanksgiving, my wife and my children said they were proud of me. There was another guy from the age of 13. He's been addicted to heroin. He just bought his first bicycle because he loves to bike. Never considered himself worthy of it before. Somebody else who's been an addict for 38 years and said, I finally recognize that I need Jesus and that I'm worthy of him. The mission at CCM says this, change a man's heart and change the man. Change the man and you change his marriage. Change his marriage and you change his family. Change a family and you change the community. And I would even say go farther. Change a community and you change the world. This is what it looks like when we prepare the way. When Jesus makes straight the paths through us, through our words and deeds. We see transformation. We see the advancement of the kingdom. And it it blows me away. It blows me away that I have the honor to sit with so many of you and hear your stories and to see that all sorts of people in our community are saying it doesn't have to be like this. We don't have to accept the status quo of the way the world works. We don't have to return violence with violence. We don't have to continue to play the games that perpetuate the oppression of the minorities, of the least of these of the poor, of children, of women, of people in other countries. We don't have to live that way because God has shown us another way, a better way to live in this world. And we announce it through our words and deeds. And so many of you are doing that in incredible and dynamic ways. Nathan and Jillian Smith are expecting their new daughter this year that they've adopted from a very dire situation and the kingdom of heaven advances. The mountains are made low, the valleys are raised up. Jenna Wimmer has dedicated her life to tending with AIDS and HIV patients in Central Florida area. And the kingdom advances, and the mountains are made low, and the valleys are raised up. So many of you are that voice calling in the wilderness that something's happened that you've chosen not to participate in the empire But you've chosen to say yes to the king and to his kingdom. Sister Kay in the back, give me an amen, sister. Where are you at? There you are, girl. Kay just spent several months in Europe traveling around, hearing stories of the kingdom of God advancing, is putting aside all of her agenda, all of the things that she wanted to do with her life, and being open-handed before the Lord to say, here I am, send me. Where where, Where would you take me? Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? because your plans for my life are so much better than anything I could come up with on my own. Where the voices calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. And so just as we recognize the personal call to our exterior life, we also must recognize the personal call in our interior life. I'm going over a little bit. Sorry, not sorry. This is good. This is good stuff. This is kingdom. Sorry, Melissa. Sorry, Stacy. What paths need to be made straight within your own life? Where does the kingdom need to come and to smooth out some of the rough places within yourself? Where are the places where you're motivated by violence, where you're motivated by fear, where you feel a little bit numb? God also desires to redeem our interior life for the kingdom. In Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you had said, yes, he is king of my life and I am not, then Jesus is at the core of you. God's love manifested in Christ Jesus is at the core of you through the work of the Holy Spirit. And for us to live as self-aware human beings is for us to actually be aware of of Jesus, to be Jesus aware, to allow what is in the center of us, what is in our heart to come out of us in our words and our deeds, to allow that internal revelation of the love of God to manifest itself externally. And so whatever we encounter in this life, in your day to day, in the decisions that you make, with the things you will say yes to and the things you will say no to, I'm inviting you to be more Jesus aware. To recognize the places where the empire still reigns. To recognize the places that the light of God is begging to be shown on them. Jesus desires to redeem our interior life for the sake of the kingdom. We must prepare the way within ourselves first if we are to prepare the way for God's kingdom. Else we continue to perpetuate the cycle of violence. We continue to perpetuate the cycles of fear and dominance and oppression. Now, how do we wrap this up? still with me? Okay, good. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, our source and our destination. Everything, everything, everything starts with Jesus, and everything ends with him. That middle bit, that's you and me. That's us. That's the part that we get to participate in. But if we choose to see history is the progressive revelation of God. That as time marches forward, so does the awareness of who God is and the kingdom advances in that. We see Jesus as our source, as our life, as our light. And we also see him as our destination when we call into the present moment that Revelation 21 image. As we continue in that reading in Revelation 21, verses 6 and 7, it says this. Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. If we're not motivated by love, Recognizing our source in Jesus, recognizing our destiny in Jesus. We are nothing and we have nothing. But we posit ourselves in the middle of history, this beautiful tension between his first coming and that leads us into an active expectation of his second. That we're able to boldly go out into the world to to ask that profound question what does it look like when God is king? and to choose to say yes to that reality without fear, without violence, without coercion, without dominance. We get to submit to King Jesus and discover the kingdom of heaven and those realities that we celebrate here in the Advent season. True peace, true joy, true hope, and true love. So you stand with me, please. We're going to celebrate we're going to worship our Alpha and Omega. As we retell the story of Jesus through the Christmas season, it builds up within us that hope for his second coming. And with open and excited hands, we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Prepare the way and start within me. Prepare the way and start with me so that I might go out and be a voice in the wilderness. So let's pray and worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these, your dear and beautiful children. Would you shine the light of your goodness, of your kindness, of your comfort into the dark places in each of us. Transform us, Lord. Father, we offer to you everything we are, mind and body and spirit and heart, to do with as you will. Lord, we're tired of the cycles of violence. We're tired of living in fear. We're tired of living numb. We want to feel. We want to say yes to that thing that resonates at the core of us that we know is your spirit beckoning us into your future rule, into your kingdom where you say, Behold, I'm making all things new. Lord, start with us. So Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence here and we also say come. We give you permission, Lord, to move freely in this space, to shake up, to to lower some mountains and to raise up some valleys and to rough out the smooth places within our lives that we might see you as King Jesus triumphantly riding into your kingdom. We pray all these things in his strong and blessed name.